Finding hope is what we're speaking of today. And finding hope is something that's really quite elusive in our world. I'm going to do something a little bit different. If you have your bulletins, you have the notes in the bulletin. You can follow along. I'm going to start off with what I normally end with. I normally end with questions. I'm going to begin with questions today as well as end with them because I want you to get your mind flowing about what hope is. Here's the first question. Do you experience hope in your daily life? Now, this is a big difference between I really, really hope I pass my test. As you cross your fingers and, you know, as the old saying, you cross your fingers, hope to die. You're really, really hoping something to be true. Do you really experience true, genuine hope in your daily life, in your school, in your work, in your family life? What about the second question? Would you like to experience more hope? And this is a token yes answer, okay? I put this in here just to make everyone be able to participate and say, I would like more hope. I doubt any of you have come along with your life and gone, do you know what? I just, I, I'm up to here in hope. I just, I'm, I'm so hopeful. I just can't handle any more. I believe we all want more. So where are we going to find it? And the third question is, what, would, what do you base your hope? Upon what do you base your hope? There's lots of things in our world around us that we can hope for. We can hope, and we, as you go through life, you can hope that you don't make a mistake. You hope that you pass the test. You hope you can pay your bills. You hope your children and your family is healthy. You hope when you go to the doctor that the news is good. You hope, you know, all these various things. But what do you actually base it upon? Our principle for today is this, and you find it inside your bulletin as well. It says this, I can live a life of genuine hope through the promise of God. Through the promise of God. That's what we're going to look at this morning is, where do we find hope, not just for this season? Because some of you, if you're anything like my kids, these weird notes appear on the fridge. And they're really nicely written, and they normally have nice language, like, may I please have this for Christmas. And they begin to write their Christmas list out. And they're very, very hopeful. And obviously they forget whose children they belong to, because I look at the list and go, no, no, no. So I write on there, you can have a hug and a kiss, and a candy cane. And within our lives, there's lots of things we, we hope for. But according to this and the principle we're going to develop today is that genuine hope through not ourselves, not simply positive thinking, not just crossing our fingers, not relying upon another person, but going straight to the creator God of the universe to find where we can place our hope today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the passage in 1 Peter chapter number 1. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter, and we're going to... Um, be there for the majority of the message today, looking at where these people, these real people that really lived about 2,000 years ago, where did they find hope? Give you a little background. This book was written by, as the name says, Peter. Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus around. He's most well known for being the guy that stuck his foot in his mouth 
more than anyone else. He was also the man that denied Jesus three times the night before Jesus was crucified. Thank God that Jesus restored him back into ministry, forgave him, and then commissioned him to go out. And he preached on the very beginning of the local church when the local church, Jesus Christ started the local church, but it began on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people came to know Christ as their Savior. As a result of his relationship with Jesus Christ, his life was never the same. And he wrote a letter to some people that were going through an incredibly difficult time. Because of persecution for their faith, people, if you look at chapter number 1, verse number 1, it says this in 1 Peter. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadonia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing to some people that are, and it says there, those who are the elect, it says elect exiles. He's writing specifically to Christian people. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, this can specifically relate to you where you are today. But then he calls them elect exiles. And these exiles are people that are not living in their homeland. And the only reason why that they have been exiled out isn't because of political reasons. It isn't because of economic reasons. It is not social reasons or to get a better step up in life. They've kind of tried to find a better country to live in. They've only been exiled because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. You ever done something really, really wonderful and suffered as a result of it? You've done the good thing, and as a result, you are suffering. These people here, they had to leave their homeland. These aren't just Jewish people. I believe they're people from all all nationalities that came to know Christ as a Savior and had to flee their homeland because of Jesus Christ, because of their affinity, because they were standing up for what is right. And it goes on into the very end of the book in chapter number 5 and verse number 12. It'll be on the screen for you. And he gives us kind of the reasoning why he's writing. He says in verse 12, the second half of the verse, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. The last line, stand firm in it. Stand firm in what you know to be true. So let's go back and find out what we can stand firm in. And let's find out what you in your daily lives, whether you are going, everything's going wonderful right now, or you may be at the really low point of your life. This may be one of the most difficult Christmas seasons that you've ever faced in your life. And as you stop and you think about how our lives can change in but a moment, I don't want to wait for the time of crisis to find out where my hope lies. I don't want to find a hope this Christmas as an afterthought when I'm desperate. I want to find out and know what I believe based upon the promises of God we find in the Bible so that we can apply them to our lives. So when the difficult times come, not if the difficult times come, when the persecution comes, when the suffering comes, not if it comes, when it comes, I will be ready and you will be ready and we can base our lives upon something more than just really, really hoping for something to be true. 
So let's look at the Scriptures. Let's begin by defining what is hope. If you looked up a Webster Dictionary, an Oxford Dictionary, in fact, I was trying to be smart. I went past Webster. I went to Oxford. And it says this. It is a feeling or desire. That is what, what hope is. It's simply a feeling or desire for something. In that, using that definition, there are a lot of things that I hope for. In fact, there's a lot of things that I hope will not happen. You ever gone through um, a, like a speed camera? And you've seen it that one second too late, and you just look down, and that it's amazing. In that point two of a second, you can have all these emotions and thoughts, like the sinking feeling in your stomach because you thought you were speeding, to your eyes going down to see exactly how fast you were going, to looking back up again and seeing the. I'm going to brag for a moment, and I shouldn't brag because this is what happens. You know, there's a law that comes against this called Murphy's Law. Um, and this is a bit of pride. Okay, you ready? I've never had a ticket in Australia. <laughs> I've had tickets in other countries, but not in this country. And it's amazing because I've actually deserved them. And there's a speed trap going around. And, the, and you know they curve when you get to the, near Vass in Bustleton? It, it, go, it goes down from... 110 to, to 80 to 60 real fast. And then they, where do they put the speed camera? Right there. And if you take your foot off the accelerator, you just coast in. And that's what I was doing. I was saving petrol. I'm environmental. And I was going in, and, the, and, the, and of course the speed camera goes, and I look at Tammy, because there's no denying it. She's sitting right there. And I said, Tammy, I'm going to get a ticket. Of course, she's got several. So, um. And... <laughs> And I go in, and you know what's amazing? This is absolutely amazing. It's obviously, a, a, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm being, yes, I'm being totally facetious here. It's God's blessing on my life. Because I, that was a couple of years ago, and I'm yet to get the ticket. And I deserved it. I was going over the speed limit, and somehow I didn't receive it. But you know what? A feeling or desire of expectation, of really hoping for something. That's, anyone can do that. And sometimes you get the, what you hope for, and sometimes you don't. And if you don't, you go, oh, well, it was a good try anyway. That's not the sort of hope I want to base my life upon, of just hoping, like, oh, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I want to hope in something deeper. In the Bible, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The hope that we have according to this verse in the Bible is not based upon simply my feelings. It's based upon a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. And that's what we find our hope is living in. And as a result, our hope now is an expectation based upon the promise of God or the promises of God. You begin thinking through in your life where you are today. Where do you find your hope? It cannot be simply in, I really, really hope so. It must be far beyond a feeling into the facts of the fact that God has raised Jesus from the dead. We have, not, we have life 
a living hope, as it says, not just for now, but for all eternity. And you know what the beautiful thing is? It's real and it's genuine. As we think about our lives where we are, we can use the Christmas account of people being hopeful and acting upon their hope. Because when I believe something, when you believe something, it causes you to act differently. And that's absolutely true. I mean, you think through in every aspect of your life. If you didn't believe something to be true, you would not do it. And when you do believe something to be true, you act differently as a result. And if there really was a boogeyman in your closet, you would act differently. But because you don't believe there is one, you don't believe there's one, therefore you act differently as a result. In our lives, when you know something to be true, you live differently as a result. The wise men that came to visit Jesus, recorded in Matthew chapter 2, they got up, they left their country because they found something, they saw a star, they, they read the scriptures in the book of Daniel, and they saw what, what was taking place, the prophecies of the coming Messiah, and as a result of that belief system, they gave them hope, not just to go, well, that's nice. They gave them hope to get up and go and bring gifts and go and find this promised Savior, this promised Messiah. Also, we as a man recorded in Luke chapter number 2, named Simeon. Simeon was an elderly man, and he had gone up to the temple every day looking and anticipating the, the, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, being born. And through a, a revelation of God, he was told by God that he would see the Messiah. So can you imagine, you were told by God, this man Simeon, God said, you are not going to die before you see my promised Messiah. Could you imagine how different it is every day that when you get up and you go to the temple? Is today the day? Is today the day I'm going to, to, to meet the Savior of the world? That hope is not just based upon his feelings. It's based upon the fact of what God told him. And it says in verses 28 and 30, he took up in his arms and blessed God and said, this is holding Jesus, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Also in that passage in Luke chapter 2, there's a na lady named Anna. Anna was a prophetess. And she was an elderly lady, 84 years old. And for some of you that are 80 in, in the room, young. And she was a widow for many, many decades. And she would go up and she would live her life as a widow, constantly looking for the coming Savior. And when she found Jesus as an infant, in verse number 38 of that passage, it says, And coming up the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him who, um, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She lived her life differently because she was looking forward to the coming Savior. Because Jesus Christ has come, He's lived a perfect life here on earth. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's given us life, not just for now, but for eternity in heaven. And the gift of salvation is standing and sitting here waiting for us to receive that wonderful gift of salvation. And when you've received it, you live your life differently. You can never live your life the same ever again. Because now I have, as it says in that passage in verse number three, a living hope. Do you have that living hope? 
Do you have hope far beyond just your circumstances? Many people in this world are suffering today because they've made dumb choices. Many people in our world today are suffering the consequences of poor decisions. I'm going to challenge you today to, first of all, determine to know the Savior, Jesus Christ. Begin to allow Him to work in your life so that you're no longer suffering for your dumb choices. You may suffer. You may suffer for the name of Jesus. You may suffer for doing right, but we're not going to suffer for being dumb. So let's look at how our hope is expressed. Because I believe that every single person here today that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior can live in genuine living hope by following the principles that we find laid out in 1 Peter chapter number 1. Now you remember, these are real people that are really suffering. So let's see how hope is expressed. Let's read in that passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and then we'll skip to verse number 13. It says this, Though you have not seen Him, talking about Jesus, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Go down to verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Sober-minded means to be clear in thought. I'm clear in my direction. I'm clear in my thinking. Set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind and thinking about Jesus. So therefore, if our hope is a living hope, it says here, And Peter's talking to real people like you and I who are suffering. Where do we find our hope? It's in Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at four different areas that Jesus gives us hope. The first of all, my hope causes me to love Jesus. The result of Jesus Christ coming to earth and giving us life is the fact that we can now love him. In that passage, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. He's being really practical here. None of us has ever seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. We've never seen him. Isn't it weird? But I love him. I mean, there's lots of people in the world that I've never seen that I can generally say, you know, I love people as a whole, but I don't have a relationship with them. Physically, I've never seen Jesus, and neither have you. Yet we love him. In our times of suffering, we need to go beyond just what we see and just our feelings. And we begin to grow into what we refer to as a spiritual relationship. I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that is a spiritual relationship. And if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, receive that free gift of salvation, the Bible says that you, you too have that spiritual relationship. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That spiritual relationship we have, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He's our guide. The Bible says that He seals our salvation. He reveals all truth to us. He convicts us when we do wrong and encourages us and directs us to do right. 
we have a spiritual relationship, a spiritual love relationship with Jesus. But also, we have a scriptural relationship that's based upon the Word of God. It's not based upon my feelings. And this is a real key, because there's a lot of things that I feel should be true in this world that are simply based upon my feelings. Are you the same way? You have an opinion. There are people when the different sports teams play that pray for both teams to win. And then you pray for the alternative team to lose. That's not what we're talking about here. That's talking about your feelings. What we're talking about here is when you know something, what's it based upon? Is it simply based upon your feelings? Because if it is, if you've ever tried to build something based upon mm, it looks all right, and then you go and put the level against it and you find out that you are a little bit crooked, and you're only off by a few degrees, but as you build that wall or you make that line in the, in the sand, you begin to find yourself off by more and more and more because it's not based upon something that is true, like a, like a, a spirit level that will show you exactly what is straight. It's based upon your feelings. And so unusual. And I am by no means a craftsman. Like By no means. In fact, if I come to help you, and you want me to do something, cut something straight, I will say, okay, but I'll warn you. <laughs> it will not be straight. Because it's hard when you just line something up to think, is it really straight? And then as you begin to look at things, and you look back on it, and you get what's really truly straight, and you line it up, then you actually know what is true, what is, what is correct. That's based upon the Word of God. In Romans 10, 17, it says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through, it doesn't say my feelings, it doesn't say your good intentions, what it says here is through the word of Christ. That's where we are going to find our hope. So therefore today, my challenge to you, and this is a great time of year to begin getting into your Bible and reading your Bible. If you have your phone, I often read on my iPad, and I've downloaded an app called YouVersion, which has a bunch of helpful commentaries. It has reading plans to go through. Christmas season, there's a number of, of different um, reading plans to go through to help keep you on track with your reading. Because what you do is you begin filling your mind with the truth of the Word of God, and guess what happens? You begin to live life differently. And the more that you fill your minds up with the things of God, the more you get to grow in your relationship with God. The more you fill your mind up with simply the opinions of the world and your own personal opinions, there's no spiritual growth there. So let's go back to loving Jesus based upon the Word of God. But also, because of our hope that we have, we have a trust in Jesus. That verse in chapter, verse number 8, we're breaking that verse up into three different sections. The first part was the, the love Jesus. The second and the middle part is to trust Jesus. Because love and trust naturally go together. It says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. In our lives today, I, I, this is how I describe baptism. Last week we had a baptism. and this, When I sit with people that are about to be baptized, I often tell them, in our day today people may say that's really weird you're being baptized you're doing you know you're doing what on sunday it's, it's a little bit unusual they may tease you but i doubt very much you're going to lose your life as a result but 
in the first century and other places around the world even today, but certainly not Australia, to stand up for what is true and say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm trusting in Him alone for my salvation. That can cost you your life. And for these people that Peter was writing to, they quite literally, when they took a stand for what is right, their lives were forever different. And as a result, they had to flee and were exiled as a result. There's a hymn that I've been humming this week. And a hymn that you may have grown up with singing in church called Standing on the Promises. And it says in one of the verses, Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. And that's a song that I remember singing in, for many years growing up. And it's amazing the different songs that come to your mind at different times. And I always find them encouraging. That verse again in Romans 10, verse 17 that we, we quoted earlier. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's a huge difference between faith and my feelings. My faith is built and trusting in Jesus Christ. My feelings and your feelings go up and down. Based upon the weather, a number of very happy people walked into church today, and you may comment of how you love the weather, summer was here, you're happy, and other days when it's cloudy outside, it's amazing. I can tell by your faces. You walk in and it's, oh, it's cloudy. You sound like Eeyore. And what you have is feelings. They go up and they go down. Some days I'm really happy and excited. Other days it's just hard. But my faith, my faith doesn't go up and down because it's built and based upon something that is true and something that is firm. Faith means surrendering all to God and obeying His word in spite of the circumstances and consequences. Your faith may cost you something. It may cost you a job promotion. It may cost you a, what you would think of as a friend in school because you stand up and you do what is right. But when you do what is right, you're trusting not in yourself, not in your circumstances, not in other people, but trusting in God. And that's exactly where we should be. So we have trust, love Jesus, trust Jesus, rejoice in Jesus is our third thing we can do as a result of our hope. That verse, the end part of verse number 8, it says, Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. As I think through what real, true joy looks like, there's a couple of things that come to my mind that actually made me absolutely speechless. And maybe you're the same way. There's certain things that you got as a child, as a gift. Maybe you were speechless. Maybe you received something as a wonderful gift, like a child being born, and they hand you your child, and you're holding your, your infant son for the very first time, and you, and you, and you don't drop them. And you, you hold them, and you look at them, and you are absolutely ecstatic, terrified, and excited, and rejoicing in joy that is somewhat inexpressible. And trying to put into words all the emotion that you're feeling in those few moments is really difficult. When we have the hope that is in Jesus Christ, 
hope that is beyond your circumstances, hope that is beyond the ups and the downs of your finances. And it's, we can experience, it says there, joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That last part is very important. Filled with glory, because what it does, glory is not talking about glorifying ourselves. It's talking about turning it around and glorifying God. And that's the key. God comes alongside us, allows us to experience His love and the trust and the joy so that we can turn that hope around into praise to Him. So therefore, when we sing on Sunday mornings and you've experienced the wonderful joy of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you sing differently because you're no longer singing just the words. You're now singing praises to God. As you're sitting in your work ute, guys that, you know, that go on long trips, and you put music on and you listen to the Word of God as you, as you travel, the things of God, and you begin to sing along and you do the most untrady thing to do. You're sitting on singing in your car praises to God. And it's a wonderful thing. And don't let the other guys make fun of you. You sing wonderfully. Because what you're doing is you're now turning that joy that, that is inexpressible and filled, is now it's filled with glory to God. You become speechless. In our circumstances, our circumstances and your circumstances will go up and they'll go down. Today, you might be really happy because you have a delicious lunch to eat. Or you may be kind of sad. You may have some really bad news. Or you may have some wonderful news to share. Wherever you are on the scale, we want to discover now where our hope lies. So when the difficult times come, we will be prepared. In a moment, we're going to see a video. And this video is something that it's not a fun video. Since I'm going to warn you, it's not graphic, but the, the message that the man shares, his name is Zach Smith. I've shared it a few times, and it's my go-to video when talking about these things because it's personally very impactful to me. I never met Zach, but I know his dad. And the story is close to home, but at the same time, is it's incredibly relevant for where we are. Because can we rejoice when we are suffering? Can we find joy when we're going through hard times simply based upon where our hope lies? Be encouraged by the story of Zach's. Hi, my name is Zach Smith, and I am 33 years old. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Mandy, for 11 years. We have three children, Lizzie, Jake, and Luke. And this is my story. I met Jesus when I was five years old. I grew up as the son of missionary parents in Ecuador, where I lived for 15 years. I went to college in Arizona, where I met my wife. For the next 10 years, we traveled around while I worked in the information technology field. We served in our local church, and I attended seminary. I often thought about working in full-time ministry, but no opportunities seemed right. I was told about a job here at New Spring Church helping with information technology. It was perfect, an IT job at an amazing church. I took the job and started working in October of 2008. For several months, life was very good and we were very happy. In May of 2009, at age 32, I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Immediately, I had surgery to remove a foot and a half of my large intestine and a lemon-sized tumor. I was told that cancer had spread to my spleen and to my liver. Chemotherapy was on the horizon. 
This was all a very sudden shock to me. I had always been very healthy. And I found myself very confused. Why did I have cancer? Had I done something wrong to cause it? Was this a result of many years of sinful living in my past? I was working at a church and serving God. Where did I go wrong? But thankfully, the confusion quickly turned to hope. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I did not understand why I had cancer, but I knew that God was in charge. For three months, I underwent a horrible chemo regimen. Afterwards, I had a scan done, and the results were great. There was no cancer found in my body. We celebrated God's healing and God's faithfulness. And the next few weeks of my life were some of the best, as I celebrated being cancer-free. But another scan one month later showed that the cancer had reappeared, this time in my abdominal cavity. I was devastated. Why was it back? Everything was just starting to make sense, but the reoccurrence of cancer caused even greater confusion. I resumed chemotherapy and did more tests. The cancer is now growing and getting worse. Unfortunately, the chemo drugs are no longer effective in my abdomen, and surgery is not an option due to the degraded state of my liver. Medically speaking, there is nothing more for me. And medically speaking, I probably will not live to 2011. The Bible says in Matthew 7:11 that God gives good things to those who ask. God cannot give me a bad gift. And it is through that lens that I can say that cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am a better husband and a better dad, a better boss and a better employee, a better friend and a better follower of Jesus. And through cancer, God has shown me some amazing things about himself. Those are indeed great gifts. I still have questions about cancer, why it went away and why it came back. I do not understand, but I know that God is in charge. I am praying for God to heal me. That is my desire. I want to walk my daughter Lizzie down the aisle. I want to watch my sons, Jake and Luke, become men. I want to grow old with Mandy and I want to live my life with my friends here at work. But I may not be able to work for very much longer. And I may have just celebrated my last Christmas with my family. This I do know. If God chooses to heal me, then God is God and God is good. If God chooses not to heal me and allows me to die, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory. Where does your hope lie? What does your hope cause you to do? You have love, you have trust. Your results in joy, and then you get to begin to receive the love of God. And that's where I want you to be today. I want you to be receiving God, receiving from Jesus the wonderful hope that he has for you. So when you get bad news like we just saw, that you can experience true joy as a result. You no longer have to go through the, the emotions like somebody thinking to yourself, where, what's going to happen in the future? You can sit back and go, I know based upon the word of God where my hope lies. 
Maybe today you're yet to place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today can be the day that you begin that. You've truly trusted. You may, that doesn't mean that you're religious. I'm talking about are you religious? We're not talking about did you grow up in a Christian home? We're not talking about did you pray a prayer? Have you truly trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior so that you can receive from Jesus what He has for you? In that passage, in verses 8 and 9, we're going to read again. There's two key words. One key word in verse number 9 and also a key word in verse number 13. It says there, it says, verse number 9, obtaining. Verse number 13, preparing. Let's read that together. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What are we receiving from him? We're receiving the obtaining the outcome of our faith. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action. What do we receive? We receive the preparation for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we love Jesus, we trust in Him and rejoice in Him, we've opened ourselves up for receiving the hope that He has for you. This Christmas season, as I said in the very beginning, this may be the worst Christmas you've ever experienced, humanly speaking. But you can still have hope, not based upon your circumstances, but based upon Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we want you to receive today. There's a quote that says, you can't break God's promises by leaning on them. You can't break God's promises by leaning on them. Almost 100 years ago, a lady by the name of Annie Johnson Flint, she died. In 1932, she passed away. She lived her life in really up and downs, humanly speaking. As a young child, her parents both passed away from disease, and she was orphaned. She was adopted by another family, the Flint family, and they loved her and cared for her. And they, she grew up going to church. In fact, it was a Baptist church she grew up going to in New York, in the U.S. And as a young adult, in her, basically in her late teen years, her adopted parents both passed away, so she was again an orphan child. And she went through life and she began to go to, to college to learn to be a teacher. And then she was soon diagnosed with severe and crippling arthritis that put her in a wheelchair for the majority of her adult life. And as in a wheelchair, she was unable to control her, her, her bowels. So she had nappies that she was living with. She later on in her life uh, suffered from cancer. And when she wrote this particular poem that we're going to quote in a moment, she was suffering from boils covering her body and she was going blind. Circumstances, I don't think anyone's jealous of her. What did she write in a poem as a way of what she has received from Jesus Christ? She wrote the poem, which was later turned to music, says, He giveth more grace. Maybe you've heard of it before. 
He says this, or she says this, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, He addeth His mercy. To multiply trials, His multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Jesus Christ has wonderful hope to give and give and give again. And maybe you or where you are today, you need to open yourself up and say, God, I need your hope that only you can give. And he will say, okay, I'm here to give it to you again and again and again. So as we look at those points this morning, my hope causes me to love Jesus, to trust Jesus, to rejoice in Jesus, and finally receive from Jesus so we can live different lives. And it would be remiss of me as, as a pastor, but also as your friend, to allow you to leave today without giving you a few moments to mull this over. Because I believe when we've heard the Word of God, it's important to respond to the Word of God. I'm going to ask those three questions that I asked in the beginning once again. Then I'm going to, we're going to take a few moments. The musicians will come, and they'll prepare themselves to sing a final song. But I want you, we're going to sit down for a moment, and we're going to be thinking through where you are today about the hope the questions are, do you experience hope in your life? If you do, praise God for that hope. Where does it lie? Would, the next question is, would you like to experience more hope? And I can almost guarantee the answer is absolutely. I personally, I want more hope. And I'm sure you do too. Jesus Christ gives and gives and gives again. And the final question is, upon who or what? Do you base your hope? That's where I want to leave us this morning is where's your hope lie? Where are you trusting? Are you trusting in yourself? As strong as you are, as smart as you are, I'm sorry, but you're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. We need Jesus Christ. Let's take a few moments as the musicians come, and then I'll pray. Just sit in, in quiet silence as we think through what God is doing in your life right now. Lord God, I never want to forget where our hope lies. The fact that it lies in you. It lies in the death and the burial and the resurrection of your son Jesus from the dead. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for giving us life and hope, not just for now, but for all eternity. Thank you for being the, the God who has unlimited resources of a hope and joy and mercy and grace. And when we ask, Lord, those are prayers that you want to answer, yes. And that you will give us what exactly you, we need in our lives. Not necessarily what we always want, but you certainly always give us what we need. And Lord, I pray that every single person here today, 
that we will not leave as people that are just going through the motions of life and experiencing second-grade hope, but we will experience the true hope that only you can give. And I pray that you will do what only you can do. You do the saving. You do the changing. You do the hope. And in Jesus' name, amen.